0: pray. Father, I want to thank you again for every good thing that you pour out in our lives. Thank you for um, friendship. Thank you for families. Thank you, Lord, for your church. Thank you that you're building your church. And Lord, as we continue to explore what it means to live joyfully as Christians, I pray that you would speak to us this morning, you'd encourage us, and uh, that you'd build us up, that you'd use us for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm sure you uh, will join with me in saying that um, it was a really amazing message last week from Michael Hunter. So thank you, Michael. Where are you? Thank you again. And uh, what an amazing story of, um, that he used out of the Second World War just to give some perspective to us of our lives and what God has done with other people. And I really trust that it encouraged you. And I'm going to try and follow on from that this morning. And I'm going to look at uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 to 26. Michael's really dealt with Verse 21. But I'm going to just follow on from that and and, and look at the, the last portion of the of, of uh, to verse 26, and this is what it says. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. For me, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Amen. Uh, one, of the, one of the challenges of preaching verse by verse like we do in this church is that you get portions that are really difficult, and you have to just get on with it, and uh, you have to hear from God and preach His Word. And here is one of those incredible portions in the New Testament of Paul speaking. And just remember the context of, uh, of what he's speaking from. Uh, he's in jail. It's about AD 61. He's imprisoned. Uh, He's waiting his trial before Caesar, and the charge is insurrection against the empire. It's a capital offense. His face now, Paul's face now, of the real possibility that he's going to lose his life and that there will be an execution and he will be put to death. So what Paul is writing here, it's not theoretical for him at this point. It's not some kind of abstract philosophical thinking about death and... Wondering about all these things. No, there's a real, it's, it, the rubber is, is meeting the road for Paul. He's, he's, the, the possibility is that he's going to be exec, executed. The emperor will use his power either to spare him or to kill him. And so there's a serious, in this moment, a serious soul searching that's going on in the heart of this incredible man. And I suppose for all of us, we've been confronted with death in our families at, in various ways at certain times in our lives. And whenever we are confronted with death, it, 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 it's a moment to take careful reflection of your life, isn't it? To, to kind of consider what is most valuable in life when you are facing death. And Paul knows that his future is hanging in the balance, and uh, there's this kind of wrestle in his heart. Will he be sentenced to death, or will he be released to live? And so as he sits in this confining prison, he writes this letter, and for all he knows, it could have been his last letter And he's not incredibly, as he writes, he's not fearful. He's not filled with anxiety. He's a man who's completely at peace with himself and living for Jesus. And he just says these incredible words. To live is Christ. To die is gain. (laughs) And what I'd like to do this morning is just compare these two possibilities of life and death and incredibly personal words from Paul, who makes it clear that he's not worried. He's not worried. And I'm sure you've heard this expression before, that a person is not ready to live until they are first ready to die. Have you heard that expression before? You're not really ready to live and yet until you are ready to die. And that's what I would like to title my message this morning. And I want to journey through this portion with you um, and have a look at it. Now, sadly, many people wait far too long to come to that place. Sadly, for many people, it takes them coming to their deathbed to finally come to that place where they surrender their lives to Christ and say, yes, Jesus, I recognize who you are. But unfortunately, that means the time to live for Christ is past because their lives have passed and they have squandered their life. And how much more meaningful that we come to the place where we say, Yes, Jesus, I'm ready to die so I can live for you right now. How much more fruitful isn't that? And in order to make that a possibility in our lives, we have to believe by faith that Jesus is who he says he is, that he has conquered death, and he holds the keys of life and death, and he liberates us into a whole new life as we believe him by faith. And so... I put it to you it's only when you've come to that place of faith that you can face death fearlessly why because you know immediately you're going to be ushered into the presence of God and there I've seen people in my life my own mother courageously facing death knowing it's not the end but immediately she will enjoy the presence of God and how doesn't it make that's the great comfort for Christians I remember Donna's funeral. Remember two years ago, the coffin was right here and we said goodbye to her, a faithful member of this church, Noel's mum. And yet we could do it with victory in our hearts. We could do it with a sense of peace knowing that immediately she had enjoyed the presence of God and she was with the one that she loved. You see, that's exactly where Paul is when he writes this letter. He's a man who is ready to die and because of this, He's also ready to live if he needs to. He's so ready to die that he actually says, and this is the stunning thing, he says, I actually prefer to go right now. I would prefer to go right now to be with Jesus. <laughs> Nevertheless, he considers it better that he stays for the benefit of this amazing church and least on that basis he chooses life over death. And I would say, probably if we went around the room here this morning, I would assume that most of us are wanting to live, but we are willing to die if we need to. Yeah? Uh, Like Woody Allen said, he said, I'm not afraid of dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens. (laughs) Isn't that true? But Paul, Paul, Paul was the opposite, and this is what is so incredible. He was willing to live, but he really wanted to die, not in some morbid kind of suicidal, sadistic way, but no, because he knew that death for him was the gateway to glory. It was, the, it was into God's presence instantly when he died, and there was a whole new assurance in his life, and he could live bravely and courageously and face all manner of different things in his life because he knew if he died, he was instantly in Jesus' presence. It is wow, it is amazing if we could live with that same kind of courage, not afraid to stand and to do what Jesus wants us to do because we know ultimately death is the gateway to glory and to be with Him. And so I want to just, three such simple points this morning that I'd like to just leave you with as we look at the closing of this chapter. First of all, verse 21, do you notice Paul's absolute Single focused dedication. Do you notice that? This verse is the most dramatic statement, I think, anywhere in the New Testament, which is really the heart of truly uh, authentic Christianity. Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, I want to put it very simply this morning. Notice the first, those two little words for me, for me. It's emphatic. He's emphasizing something incredibly personal from what he's saying from the depth of his soul is, regardless of how anyone else lives, for me to live is Christ. Regardless of what my friends are doing, of what the culture is doing, what everyone else says is acceptable, for me to live is Christ. You get it? And so often we look at the world and we feel the pressure of what everyone else is saying and and, that pushes up on us and in us. Paul says, whatever anyone else is doing, regardless of what anyone else is saying, the purpose of my life is to live for Christ. It's not just a mere sort of empty, hollow existence that he's talking about. He's saying, for me to live for the highest goal of my life, the highest singular purpose of my life is to live for Jesus. And I want to draw your attention to this little word, is, because it's not really in the Greek and it, again, it just emphasizes how emphatic Paul is being. It, the, the Greek would say, to live, Christ. That's it. For me to live, Christ. The fullness of that expressed in that little expression. Everything I have, everything that I am, is bound up in the person of Jesus. My whole life, Christ. For me to live, Christ. The goal of my life, Christ, the pattern of my life, Christ, the passion of my life, Christ, the pursuit of my life, Christ, the reason for my existence, Christ, that's what Paul is saying, emphatically, absolutely, unashamedly, his substance, the beginning and the end of everything in between, every moment of every day, the very essence of his being is Christ. Can you and I say that today? Is that, is that our testimony that's why I find this so incredibly challenging to preach. But I, I am saying this morning, can, I, can we make it more of our testimony? Can we go on a journey together and say, yeah, we're not perfect, we haven't arrived, not at all, but we can truly say that as born-again believers, we're beginning to understand what, to, what it means to make Jesus our life, our passion, our focus. Come on. And You see here in this, this little phrase, you get the amazing exclusivity of Christianity and the inclusivity of Christianity at the same time. Paul is saying ex- exclusively, it's all about Jesus. It's Him, and it includes everyone who will believe by faith. For me to live is Christ. And you know, Paul wrote this over and over again. We've studied other letters together. What about Colossians? Remember Colossians 3 verse 4? What does he say in Colossians? He says, Christ, my life. He's just saying it in a different way. What about our study in in, in Galatians? Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Paul says it over and over again in different ways in all the letters that he writes. And so we know that there's this treasure that Jesus says is hidden in a field. And if we start to recognize what the treasure is, we sell everything to to, to own the treasure. Isn't that right? And Paul had gone through that. He had discovered the great treasure. Remember remember in Philippians 3, we're going to look at it later, Paul elaborates on that experience that he had on the Damascus road where Christ became everything to him. And then he says this, these amazing words, whatever things were gained for me, and then he summarizes in verse 5 and 6 what those things were, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, or as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is the law, I am found blameless. He summarizes all the things that might have been gained for him, and then he says, whatever things were gained to me, All of those things, my heritage, my tradition, my ancestry, my education, my upbringing, everything that I looked at to find value, everything that I looked at to find a meaning in my life and could commend me to God, he says, all of those things, I count them as dung. I could use a stronger word, but then you wouldn't like me. That's what he says. That's what he says in the Greek. He says, I count all those things dung. They are meaningless. They are nothing as... And then he says in verse 8, more than that, I count all of these things lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. For me to die is gain because then I will be... With him who has everything. That I might gain Christ. You know, in the next verse he says, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul was a man of Christ. Paul was a man to which Christ meant everything. And that's what it really meant. The word Christian means little Christ. Did you know it was actually originally used of the Christians as a kind of swear word? It's like a little dismissive kind of, you little Christians, you little Christs, who do you think you are? And yet the early Christians embraced it. What was mocking, they took on as a title for who they were. We are little Christs. We are Christian. We are longing to be like Jesus. And so the early church took this derisive title, Christian Little Christ, and they embraced it, and they wore the title because they wanted to be so identified with Jesus. And so Paul's absolute single-minded dedication is, for me to live is Christ. For me, Christ. Life, Christ. Passion, Christ. Focus, Christ. Everything, Jesus And then he says, to die is gain. And again, there's no is there. To die, gain. In other words, the profit, the benefit of me dying is gain. And I I don't know about you, but, you know, maybe this year in your family, someone's going to face that unexpected diagnosis from the doctor that says you are seriously ill and you're going to die. We all have those moments, you know. Blessed are you when you fall into trials of all kinds. Remember we looked at that? The word peripicto, you, you, you fall into it. You weren't expecting it. You were just going through your life and it was, everything was happy and normal and suddenly this extraordinary thing came into your life and it's become a trial for you. And Paul writes, it says, blessed are you for when you persevere in those times, faith is being built and you're knowing God and a whole new level of, of grace is coming into your life. What I want to say to you this morning, what a Food for our souls when we are facing things like that, and some of us might face things like that in our own in our in our, in our own lives and our families' lives, our extended family. That we would be able to say, like Paul, to die, gain; to live, Christ; to die, gain, immediately into His presence. Man, that can be like an anchor in our souls. That can be like 10,000 treasures that we've discovered. To die, gain. So, Paul ultimately is trusting in the ultimate person, Jesus, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the absolute dedication of his life. And all of us, I'll put it to you this morning, we've got to learn to live for Christ. We must live for Him exclusively, supremely, wholeheartedly. And if we live for Christ like that, we can truly begin to say, when we die, it's extraordinary gain that we are immediately caught up into His presence. But if we live for anything else, I'll put it to you that death is loss. If we live for anything else, death is loss but to live for Christ, to die, gain. That's Paul's absolute single-minded focus. Do you notice his dilemma now in verse 22? Look, look at this, this kind of, he's caught between a rock and a hard place, Paul. And he says this, um, if after I stand before Caesar and after the evidence is presented, I should be spared, if I'm to live in the flesh, yeah, that'll be fruitful labor for me. That's what he's saying. It's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. But there's this tug of war, there's this inward struggle going on in his heart. Paul he understands completely that if his life is extended from a human perspective, that will give him more time to preach, more time to uh, see people saved, plant churches and all those good things. More Timothys will be raised up, greater fruitfulness. And he says if he, if he is to live on, that will be fruitful labor. And, but he says, then, I don't know what to choose. I don't know what to choose. It's for and very unlike Paul. Paul normally is such a decisive guy single minded guy and here it's almost like he's paralyzed by this choice he's saying i don't know what to do if i go one thing happens if i stay this other happens but ultimately the thing is that the choice really lies in the hands of caesar doesn't it and so he's he's kind of he's resigned his heart to whatever is going to happen but he's wrestling on the inside and he says i don't know what to choose i want to go and be with the lord but I also want to stay and serve you guys with fruitful labor. And so he says this in verse 23, I'm hard pressed in between these two things. And you know, I was thinking about it and it's, it's, it's almost like he's going through this kind of this canyon, this cavern where there are rocks on both sides and he feels crushed from both sides. It's like coming at him from both sides. On the one desire, the desire to be with Jesus, on the other desire to love people and stay and carry on working so people can be saved. And it's like pushing in on him and he feels crushed. And so, he's so transparent with the Philippians, and uh, I'm sure he's doing that to encourage them as they are beginning also to have troubles and suffering for their faith. And he says in verse 23 that he has the desire to depart and be with Christ, for it is very much or far better. And I I was thinking as, as I was doing some prep, this this word depart here, literally means to loosen. Um, It's the idea of a ship being moored to a dock, and it's tied up with ropes. And then the the, the captain of the ship comes along, and he loosens the ropes so that the ship can now begin to drift, and it's no longer attached to the dock. And then the wind takes it out. That's how Paul sees his life. Paul sees his life that he's about to set sail. He's about to be loosened from the dock, set sail into glory. That's how he sees his life. So he's saying in this, this euphemistic way, I'm about to depart. It's also used in, in the context of the Scripture as um, when they set up camp and realize when you needed to break camp, you take down the ropes and, and dismantle the tent and move out and move on. So Paul's saying, I realize I've reached my life at the, this point in my life where my life is being loosened. It's being loosened from this world. I'm not yet left, but he can feel the ropes being loosened. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, he says. And he says, notice that. He, he says, it's very much far better, actually, depending on your tra- translation. Not just better, not just much better, it's very much better. It's like the superlative. And often in the Greek, that's what happened. There would be, there would be emphasis to show the superlative. So it's like, good, very good, most excellent, everything encapsulated in that last phrase or when uh, God is spoken about holy, holy, holy three times the God is the most holy of all that could ever be holy it's the superlative form you understand? and so Paul is saying here No, for me to go right now to depart to be loosened from this life for the ropes to be uh, slackened so I can begin to sail to glory that is far better that is the, that is the superlative of what is best for me because then I go to be with Christ he's homesick for heaven How long he's longing to be with Jesus. And then he says these amazing words in verse 24. And there's always a yet. Isn't that interesting in the Bible? When there's a yet, it's good to understand why there's a yet. And so he has the yet for Paul. It's like he's got this tennis match in his mind. He's going backwards and forwards, backwards. And he's saying, yes, I've got this longing. I'm I'm homesick for heaven. I want to depart now. I want my life to be loosened so I can sail to glory. I want to go now. I want to be with Jesus in his presence. And then he says, yet... Yet, it's better for you that I stay. Man. Very much better that I go, but more necessary that I stay. And I don't know about you, but I put it to you this morning that often in our lives, you and I, we face that dilemma all the time. It's better for me that I do this, but it's much more necessary. For you that I do this. Yeah? And so there are times in our families. It's better for me that I do this. It's more necessary for my wife and children that I do this. It's necessary for me that I do this for my ministry, but it's more necessary that I do this for the sake of the gospel. It is more necessary for me that I give myself to that uh, activity but it's much more necessary for the kingdom of heaven that I give myself to that activity. You see, we all of us are caught between what is good for us and the, what is much more necessary for others and for the kingdom. Yeah, and Paul says, that's my dilemma. <laughs> i also got things that I want to do. I've also got things that I'd long to, to see in my life, but it's more necessary for you that I do this. And so there we have the kingdom of God, in a nutshell for us, that we learn to live in a place where we can do the more necessary sometimes and not just live for what is best for me. That's the dilemma of Paul. And look at his decision, thirdly, and I'm finishing with this. Verse 25. We've seen his absolute single-minded dedication. We've seen this dilemma, this wrestle in his heart, a nice decision. And how much, uh, I just was thinking about it, how sold out must Paul have been to actually say, I actually prefer to die. He must have been completely sold out for for what God was was doing with him. And here he postpones this inevitable trip to heaven in order to stay and serve the needs of the church. That's the ultimate act of self-denial of humility and truly putting the needs of others before his own longings. And then, last little phrase I want to look at. In verse 25, do you notice he says, I am convinced of this? Convinced of this! It's not like I'm persuaded... um, uh, in you know in some kind of academic way. No, no, I'm fully convinced. I, I know my own mind. I know my own thinking. I, I know God has spoken to me. In my, I'm pers- fully persuaded. There's nothing that can, that can distract me from this. I'm absolutely convinced, fully persuaded. I know my own heart, my own mind. I'm fully persuaded that I must remain with you. And I'll continue to preach faithfully until that day that God takes me home. And so... What's the reason? He has the reason. For your progress and your joy in the faith. That's what he says. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for you. For your joy, for your progress. And isn't that the pastor's heart? Isn't that every minister's heart of the gospel? The shepherd's heart for growth and joy in the people of God that they serve. That's the pastor's heart. For your progress, Paul is saying. Yeah, he's talking about their sanctification. He's talking about their growth in the grace and knowledge of God. He's talking about the, their growth in Christ likeness. And that all of us, the longing of all of our hearts is to make progress as we live on this earth, isn't it? And, and we know that we'll never ultimately arrive. But in every believer, even the most mature believer here this morning, we still need to be making progress. I need to be making progress. You need to be making progress. We need to be ever growing closer and closer to the Lord Jesus and making more and more strides forward in the grace of God and kindness towards other people. That's what Paul says. That's why I stay, so you can make progress. And then he says, note the joy part. The the order is very important here. He says joy is the result of growing more and more like Jesus. It's It's the result of growing closer to the Lord Jesus. And as we progress in sanctification, we become more like Christ. We grow in joy. And then he also says, in the faith. That's very important. Uh, sometimes when we read the, the, the letters, they're so uh, concentrated language. When Paul says, in the faith, what he's talking about, it's a little phrase, but it means the entire belief of Christianity. It means the whole, the whole gospel, the whole of word of God. That's what we grow in, in the faith. And so... I put it to you that there's no progress in the gospel, there's no progress in Christ without consistent ministry of the word into our lives, and that's why we're big on the Bible here. Because I want you to progress. I want people to progress in their lives, that they can have joy, that they really can be rooted so when difficult things come, there's joy, and we can go through it with perseverance. We can go through it knowing it's not the end, that actually the presence of God awaits us, and even if we die, we're instantly with Him. What joy, what freedom, what liberty. And I want to put it to you that there are other references, John 17, 17, where Jesus says this, we he links our progress in our faith to the word of truth. John 17, 17, Jesus played, prayed, Sanctify them, Father, in the truth. Your word is truth. And then in joy, John 15, 11, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might be in you, and that what... And that your joy might be made full. Jesus understood these things as well. And there's lastly in verse 26, there's this little, two little words, so that. It's a purpose statement. It's like a summary of Paul's plans for the future from his release from prison. And he says, it is so that he can have continued ministry with the churches, so that your proud confidence in me might abound in Christ Jesus. What he's actually saying is that you might be confident in the work that you see God doing in my life, and that might bring you joy. And I was thinking about that. Isn't every person, every Christian encouraged when we see the good work of God in someone else's life? Yes? When, you, when we see the good work of Christ in, in a, 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 a leader or a school teacher or musician or barista, whoever, anyone who loves Jesus, and we see the good work of the cross in their lives, and we see them being transformed, we find joy when we see God doing stuff in other people's lives. And that's what Paul is saying. Saying, you're going to find joy because you're seeing what God is doing in my life. And when I get out of this place, when I get out of prison, you're going to know that it's God that has done it, and that's going to bring you great joy. And then I'm going to be with you, and we're going to co-labor together again. That's what he's saying. In my mind, Paul says, I'm going to stay here on earth, although I'd much rather be with Jesus. Not because I want to live in some selfish way, because I live for you and I want to be with you and I want to see you make progress and I want to see your joy complete and I want to see you persevere. I want to see you built up into Jesus and become more and more like him. So I'll conclude with this. You know, every one of us, we know we should all be more like Paul. Uh, we can all say that in a, in a sort of academic way. And when I look around the room, there's, there's people of many ages here. Some of you are much younger than me. There's a few of you that are much older than me. And so I want to put it to you, the old diagnostic question. Are you ready to die? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you truly put your faith in Jesus? And you know, if you were to die tonight, I don't think God is going to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? He'll do all the speaking. He'll just say, my son has done enough for you. It's the blood of Jesus, and that's all you have to say anyway. But I am asking you, if you would die tonight, if you would pass away in your sleep, would you go to heaven? You see, that's, that's the crux of what I'm saying this morning, that by faith, when our trust is in Christ, immediately the presence of God is available to us. And what a glorious way to live. What a freeing way to live. When with that is the certainty, we can work back from there. If we know the outcome, we know the end, that there's release for us when we die and I depart and my life is loosened from, the, from the, the dock and the ship begins to sail, I will depart and be with him and that is infinitely better. That is much, much better. And so if you work back from that, you can endure all things like Paul. You can be stoned, you can be persecuted, you can be opposed You can be spat at. You can be called names. You can be beaten. Why? Because you're ready to die. And when you're ready to die, you live in a different way. Last little story. John Wesley, many of you know, was the founder of the Methodist Church. And there was another guy who actually was saved before him was a guy called George Whitfield. Have you heard of George Whitfield? He was an amazing preacher. And in many ways... I think he possibly was more the founder of the Methodist movement than, than John Wesley. But when they asked Wesley the question, why is this movement so taking so much ground in the UK, and why is it growing so fast, he simply said this, our people die very well. That's what he said. That's what Wesley said. He said, our people die well. And I want to put it to you, that's the mark of a great church and a great movement is when people learn to die well. And I put it to you this morning, that if we learn to die well, we will live very well until we die, until we go and be with Him. I trust you're encouraged this morning. I trust that you would ask God to help you. I mean, I'm aware this is incredibly challenging to try and live like this. But at the end of the day, that's what Paul said he lived for, and that's what we too, as those that follow after Christ, Must be living for. For me to live, Christ. Passion, Christ. Focus, Christ. For me to die, gain. I'll be with Him. Remember that this week. And because we can live like that, we can start to live for other people because we know it's good for others that we continue to use the gifts that we have so that the whole church can be built up, the whole church can become more like Jesus every one of us contributing and making that happen until Jesus comes back. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we just rejoice in the simplicity of your gospel. Thank you for the incredible joy of what Paul is saying in his words. It challenges us deeply, Lord. We know that we fall far short of these things. But Lord, my prayers for every single one of us this morning, the children upstairs, the young people upstairs, that you'd teach us what it means to live. For me to live, Christ. Lord, that you'd also teach us, bring revelation to us. For me to die, gain. But like Paul, we would be able to say, but for this time, It's better that we stay to build the church, to bring people to Jesus so that the church and the kingdom can come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, help us. Lord, your word says that if we need wisdom, we just need to ask, and you'll give wisdom from heaven to everyone who asks. And so we ask, Lord, for your wisdom. that We might know how to live like this.